Ok. Traduction. Translation. Traduction. Translator's note. Today I had the immense pleasure of speaking with the Belarusian poet and translator Valjina Mort. She has published three collections of poetry, including Music for the Dead and Resurrected from Copper Canyon, which won the 2020 International Griffin Poetry Prize, as well as several translated collections, most recently Polina Barskova's Air Raid, translated from the Russian, and Yulia Tsimafyeva's Motherfield from the Belarusian. She has received grants and fellowships from the Guggenheim Foundation, the National Endowment for the Arts, and many others. She's an associate professor at Cornell University. I love Valjina's work for its translingual qualities, its music, its political urgency, and its dark humor. I hope you enjoy our conversation. In your interview that you have with Polina Barskova, you write, me for whom Russian is a stepmother tongue, an imposed colonial language. When I translate your work, I get to break Russian while wearing the gloves of English. I'm an untraceable Belarusian criminal. And you also wrote, the longer I've lived and worked in this linguistic triangle of English, Belarusian, and Russian, the blurrier the walls between the languages appear to be. Mm. And I'll also add Ukrainian into that constellation because of your recent translations. Um, do you understand yourself as a translingual writer and translator? And how do your relationships with these languages differ? Uh, that's uh, an existential question. <laughs> um, and uh, for for my re- linguistic reality, I um, I do not tend to think of myself as a multi- multilingual person specifically, even though I am. Uh, to me, it's just a natural state of uh, existing in the world. Um being multilingual and moving between languages. Um, so I'm more surprised when somebody is monolingual and then I can think of them as monolingual uh, person, <laughs> for instance. Um, and um, um, I grew up uh, moving between languages um, and uh, as this quote you read uh, from my conversation with Paulina shows, I have a great propensity for metaphors. And I think of uh, languages and my linguistic situation as a kind of metaphor. Because in metaphor, two very different things come together in order to form a third space that is neither the first nor the second thing, but a thing of its own, depending on the angle, depending on the light, depending on the mood. Mm. One's desire to read into things and to look into things. And uh, I grew up in a kind of metaphor between uh, two languages, Russian and Belarusian, um, and um, the language that my grandmother spoke, my grandmother who brought me up, with whom who was my interlocutor, 
and my personal storyteller for all of my childhood as an adolescent was the language that is called trasyanka, um, which is to say a shaken up thing. Um, so truly a metaphor of Russian and Belarusian, a third language mm. in between them. And sometimes it would lean closer to one and sometimes closer to another. Um, and um, my grandmother was a very funny person uh, who talked about really horrible experiences uh, with a lot of humor <clears throat> and roared with laughter um, as she talked. Um, so to me, that speech, that speech in between languages was also the most alive uh, speech because it was full of laughter and uh, that kind of dynamic and energy that laughter brings. Um, so um, it is just... Um, now that I, I started writing in Belarusian, not the language that I spoke with my parents or with my friends, not the language that was the language of instruction at school, um, not the language of the literature I read, um, because it was, um, well, I think because it was very musical. I found it musical um, and a little bit different. Uh, language of poetry is always a bit foreign to our native language. And to me, um, in a strange irony of things, it's like a little circle of irony, what could have been my historical language was the foreign language I could write in as I wrote in my native language. Mm. Um but as I say that, I also do not know what my so-called native language really is. How then do you think about English? Because there's there's this taxonomic relationship between Russian and Belarusian, which allows you to kind of exist in this middle space. And that's harder in English. And your most recent collection, Music for the Dead and Resurrected, is is an English language text where you don't have that kind of flexibility. I speak English daily and I read in English and I started writing in English after rereading Eastern European canon in English um, and feeling a great relief of having linguistic distance from this canon. Mm. Um, um, I wrote music for the dead and resurrected in two languages, uh, in English and in Belarusian. So it exists in two originals. And in my writing process, I moved between two languages as one moves between two drafts. It's a very time-consuming process that I find often... Um, helps translation is often a kind of a te test um, for uh, a draft in one language. Um, it's um, when, well, say I would write in English a draft and then I would start translating it into Belarusian and I would discover that I have a problem with some lines that they kind of fall flat. 
Mm. Um, and um, and what I would discover always in these situations is that it's not that I have some kind of untranslatable line or that a lot is lost, as people like to think, <laughs> which is why translation is falling flat, because it's just a sieve out of each all out of which all tension is pouring out. No. Um it's that the our so-called original line is weak. <laughs> and uh, a foreign language, the process of translation exposes its weakness. That there is tr truly nothing worth uh, carrying over there. And what held it together was the protection of mo monoling mo monolingualism. <laughs> Um, and so then I would follow the second language in the second draft, trying to create something more interesting, with more tension, with something most, try to find something more surprising, more striking. And, um, and then I will go back from that second draft that was a translation, but now becomes the original. And I will go, go back to what was the original, and now it is a translation. When you were talking about your grandmother and her sense of humor, when, when, you're, when you're composing a poem in multiple languages, are you able to find a sense of humor that that presents in both languages yeah because i am the my lyrical eye is the uh real object of my derision <laughs> um, i because i my subject is often um kind of very sentimental and heavy historically heavy so um uh, my lyrical eye then uh, is somebody who I do not want to allow to become self-important, um, who I do not want to allow to be sentimental and um, uh, overly dramatic and theatrical, right? I don't want to turn uh, my lyrical eye into the vehicle of trauma porn. Uh, so um, humor for me is in a surrealism and on the one hand not taking the lyrical eye too seriously and poking fun at it, um, at its propensity for self-drama and sentimentality and, um, and that allows surrealism to come in. Because truly I want to, oh, but I don't know what I'm doing now because I'm in the process of doing new things. But uh, if we take music for the dead and resurrected, then um, I would say that I was trying to create a circus, a carnival, um, in which a tragic mask and a, and a comedic mask uh, are combined and um, the speaker turns left and right throughout the poem, turns the um, right cheek and the left cheek. And yeah, one is tragedy and the other one is comedy. 
maybe now it makes sense for you to read a poem from that book, if you wouldn't mind. Oh, sure. Well, I'll, I'll read uh, part 12 of a long poem called, how is it called? An Attempt at Genealogy. And it's a, it's a kind of a lullaby lament. And um, I like to, um, to go for that oral practical poetic tradition a lot. And this little bit is a good example of that. Um, and I'll read it in English and then I'll read it in Belarusian. And you'll be able, I think, to hear how, um, how it's done. Put your bones into braids of graves, woods. Put your bones into braids of graves, ravines. Put your bones into braids of graves, fields. Put your bones into braids of graves, swamps. Put your graves into braids of bones, mother. Put your graves into braids of bones, moth. Put your graves into braids of bones, ghost. Put your graves into braids of bones, guest. Braid your bones neatly. Braid your bones bravely. Finger comb your bones into neat braids in our woods, ravines, fields, swamps. Prebiari svoje kosti u kosi mahil, les. Прибяри свои кости у косы могил, яр. Прибяри свои кости у косы могил, обшар. Прибяри свои кости у косы могил, бор. Прибяри могилы у косы костей, имшара. Прибяри могилы у косы костей, хваля. Прибяри могилы у косы костей, далеч. Прибяри могилы у косы костей, здань. Пальцами с рубами заплати кости у косы, Не грубыми заплати кости у косы, Не гребуй заплати кости у косы. Пальцами грабянями заплати кости У опошние косы, у леси яры, обшары, имшары. Where I'm getting this melody from truly is um, a Catholic Sunday service that I've never gone to. Uh, but in the 90s, uh, when um, suddenly everybody in the former Soviet Union got very religious and started going to church, um, Sunday service was transmitted on the radio. And uh, my grandmother was obsessed with the radio. It always had to be on. So I heard a lot of Catholic service. And uh, that's um, the, that um, 
singing there the tone of uh, Belarusian Catholic priest um, that is there, even though, of course, the bones and the braids and <laughs> everything else um, speaks to, I think, something pre-Christian here. Hmm. Can you tell me a little bit about how the wordplay is working in, in the Belarusian? I see there is this connection between ghost and guest, this etymological connection. And then we have moth and mother and grave yeah. becoming brave. And I'm curious what's happening in the Belarusian. Yeah, it's different, different words uh, that form that form those echoes um, here. So they're not they're not the same, but uh, there is there is a ghost uh, here too. <laughs> Yeah, it's um, they they're not overthought here, right? I was not really overthinking these endings. They're a little bit like an echo, and you half half hear it. So I just go always with again what is intuitively right, what what I once arriving to the grave, once arriving to the bone at the end of that line particular line rhythmically and melodically what is the echo so it's just listening really i mean for that word that i don't like so much because i think it's so fetishized process <laughs> um, but it's unavoidable um, so the for me the process is that of listening it's not so much about meaning i feel that meaning is always there because you deal with language and the only way to be surprised by meaning is not to overthink it. I'm interested in what language is thinking. And, mm -hmm. uh, uh, and that can be reached only through uh, following sound and, um, and listening, listening to language and then be surpri being surprised. Uh, by what you're saying, but what you're actually saying in semantically when you were following just sound, when you were trying to say something musically only. Do you consider yourself a musician? I know uh, Carolyn Forche said that when she met you, you had your accordion with you. <laughs> uh, yeah, she she means it she means it in a mocking poking fun way <laughs> yeah okay. uh, i'm a failed musician i am a um uh, somebody who spent my childhood and an adolescence uh playing accordion practicing music but i have no ear for music i'm absolutely tone deaf i wouldn't be able to sing or repeat a note um, so, um, so I'm uh, somebody who writes, who wants to write very musical, uh, poems, um, but has no ear for music. Both Motherfield by Yulia Tsimafieva and Paulina Barskova's Air Raid are bilingual editions with the source text on the left and the English on the right. Mm -hmm. um, 
there's there's no translator's note included in either, except for an interview with Polina in Air Raid, mm-hmm. which comes at the end. Yeah. Were these your decisions as the translator? And how were you hoping to position the source text and your translation? I think that it was important to include a conversation with Paulina in order to um, present the philosophies of how I approached translating her work. Uh, when I was showing manus- this manuscript, Paulina's manuscript around to people who read uh, Paulina's work in Russian and know it well, um, I heard some feedback um, where, where my friends were saying, why do you want to publish this as a translation? Uh, this is, just publish it as your book. <laughs> or maybe <laughs> like, um, you know, inspired by Paulina. Um, and um, <clears throat> I thought that I want to make a statement that it is a translation, and that's how I think of poetry translation. Um, so um, that's why the conversation in the back highlights a lot of this philosophy of what it means to be faithful and free um, and what it means to translate avant-garde poetry that is um, deeply um, uh, musical and embedded in um, a soundscape. So where meaning is arrived to through listening to sound. A poet's job is to listen to language and a translator's job is to do the same. I love that. And I love this book. And if for our listeners, if you don't have a copy, um, it's in a beautiful edition from Ugly Duckling Press. And I strongly recommend getting your hands on one. You have talked so much about the music being the primary driver of your poetry and your translation. In in Yulia Tsimafieva's book, Motherfield, it starts off with a very intense and personal diary of her um, experience of activism in Belarus. Mm-hmm. And I'm, and it's in prose. And I wonder mm-hmm. how did your kind of sonic approach to translation work with that? There is a note um, here on the, in the book uh, under from the protest diary. And the note says that this text was originally written in English and then it has been edited by the translators. So Yulia wrote this text in English. I and she wrote, it, she wrote it in English because um, uh, I, um, I asked her to write a, like a, a op-ed for a magazine, for, for a newspaper, I think it was the Financial Times, um, describing her her experience of going to the protests intimately of how, not what it is, but how it felt. And so she started writing in English 
for the newspaper. And then she continued after the piece was published, she found herself writing. She didn't stop at one opit. She just kept keeping the diary. And she was doing it in English. Um, I think uh, that it gives it gives the distance. And uh, perhaps when I was speaking about my own work writing in English, let me say that when I write in English, I don't necessarily align myself with, um, say, the British poetic tradition in English. But what helps me enter, and maybe people like Yulia too, another Belarusian poet who wrote this in English, what helps us enter English and write in it are uh, the Irish writers, the Caribbean writers, the Anglophone African writers. So it's all, all that other literature uh, in English, so to say, <laughs> or the other in all the other Englishes that um, in which rich literary tradition exists. And it's those other literatures um, that allow people from outside, I think, to keep entering English. And so Yulia wrote this in uh, prose in English. Um, I was uh, um, her, her editor here, and then um, and then Hanif Abdurakif, my co-translator, he also uh, edited the piece. So that's that's a very long answer instead of a very short answer. <laughs> that the prose was written in English. Well, there are so many gorgeous translations in this book. Can I ask you to read "Language as a Prison Sentence"? Yes, absolutely. And here I opened it uh, randomly, but also exactly what you asked for. Language is a prison sentence. For our resistance, for our inability to observe the whole world. We want poems made out of barbed wire, so that when we throw ourselves upon them in flight, we might feel alive. We get sentenced to language as children and remember no other life except for prison life. No sky but the sky behind words. No food but the tasteless broth of thin daily speech. Nobody asked us whether we wanted to be born. Nobody asked us whether we wanted to learn to speak. Memory keeps us here, and the only way out is oblivion. But beyond language is Cain's sadness. Oblivion is a murder. To escape from the prison of language is a great sin. To escape, to stop talking, to feel the rise and fall of the great bosom of the world. Its liberated hum makes no sense. Um, 
there is a kind of a stereotype about the Belarusian language in Belarus that it's the a language perfect for lullabies, that it's a very soft, melodic uh, language. And Yulia is somebody who works against that um, in her poetry. Her poems are quite tough, and their soundscape is also pretty tough um, and, uh, and hard, um, as opposed to softness. Um, and so um, it, that's actually why I could not finish translating her book without Hanif, without a co-translator, because um, my personal inclination is to get lost in sound and to do something more avant-garde with rhythm. Um, here, uh, I have to find a very different tone. And um, the, my, the fact that I'm not the native English speaker, that English is my third language, um, was, uh, to me at least, I felt very vulnerable in English here because it lays so bare uh, the fact that it's not mine. And he, it's not about breaking it, in fact. It's the opposite. It's about um, picking up the hard stones of language and saying, look, you see, it's unbreakable. <laughs> so it was very important here for me to collaborate with an American poet. And uh, Hanif really got uh, Yulia's tone. And he really got her poems. And the first poem we did together felt like a great relief for me. Um, that, I mean, I didn't feel as vulnerable. I, I felt that I was, yeah, um, protected. <laughs> protected by a strong, um, strong voice of American poetry here. Hmm. That really comes through reading it. It's, it's a wonderful book. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Translator's Note. This show is produced by me, Jake Goldwasser. It's an affiliate of Exchange's Journal of Literary Translation and is made with the support of the University of Iowa Department of World Languages, Literatures, and Cultures, as well as the International Writing Program. Thanks to Nate Repaz for the theme music. Credit for other music used in the show can be found on our website. As always, Translator's Note also wants to thank Aronaji, Jan Stein, Tommy Mirai Lopez, and the MFA in Literary Translation community at the University of Iowa, as well as previous hosts of the show, Claire Bregerbelsky, Abby Ryder-Huth, and Julia Conrad for their support. <laughs>